Venture in the South, a podcast about startup investing in the Southern United States. Our hosts are experienced angel investors with over 90 startup investments. We'll share some Southern wisdom while exposing you to vibrant startups here in the South. Welcome back to Venture in the South. I'm happy today to have Doug Giampapa with us to give us an update on his company, Healthy Cell which we did an interview a year ago about his company. It was episode 31. And it's very interesting and kind of exciting because they've had a lot of growth. So let me just update you a little bit on Doug's background. He earned a bachelor's degree from Cornell in 2005. And then after graduation, he put together a 260-acre mixed-use sustainable real estate development in Costa Rica. So that's kind of like a dream. The $2.5 million investment that was made at that time has increased to $17.1 million, so that's a pretty successful development. And then Doug joined the original inception of Healthy Cell that raised money for stem cell businesses that did not come to fruition. And with the company going under, Doug persuaded the board to let him take over and focus the company on their nascent nutritional supplements business, so a big pivot. And that's what they're doing today. And I, again, would refer you to episode 31 to get the background on that. But now we're going to do an update on what's been going on in the last year. So welcome, Doug. David, thanks for having me. It's great to be back. So briefly update our listeners on the problem that Healthy Cell is addressing. Sure. So it's really a dual problem. It starts with about 250 million Americans that take dietary supplements every day, mostly in pill form. Yet... 40% of them, according to the data, have difficulty swallowing pills, and the liquid supplements out there are messy and convenient and don't taste good. Then the second problem is about 70% of them lack confidence that their supplements are even working. We know from the work we've done under the hood at the labs that most supplements in pill form are not well absorbed, and therefore they don't yield the impact people are expecting. So it's basically a $60 billion industry in the US alone that these 250 million Americans taking supplements every day create. And if you look beyond that, globally, it's about a $200 billion market size. So it's a substantial market size ripe for improvement in the way that people are supplementing. So the problem is swallowing and absorbing. Swallowing pills, people don't like doing it. And the efficacy, meaning the absorption of what they're ingesting is the other problem. Yeah. And then tell us about your products that address that, those two problems. Sure. So our solution is a patent-pending ingestible gel. So picture those you know, goo energy gel packs that people take when they're cycling or running, but instead of sugar, carbs, electrolytes, and caffeine, we're putting in our gels fully soluble versions of micronutrients, vitamins, minerals, and other nutrients, plant extracts, et cetera. Just about anything you can put in a pill, we can solubilize in a gel. And so what that does is it makes it pill-free, obviously, based on the independent clinical study that was just published in the Journal of Nutrition and Health. This drives 165% more absorption than a dry tablet does. But you also have something that's convenient. And the big challenge for us was making it taste great. You can have the healthiest thing in the world, but if it tastes terrible, people aren't going to comply, right? So we needed to make it taste great. And People shoot it straight from the gel pack. Sometimes they mix it in water. Some people even blend it in their smoothies. It's a step change in the way people take dietary supplements. Yeah, that is a big difference. I mean, everybody thinks about pills and gels are reasonably convenient. So I don't know why anybody would object to it. And and I get the absorption thing and the swallowing thing. So that kind of seems attractive. I mean, what's the feedback from your customers? 
Customers love it. Their first reaction is, we didn't know that you could take supplements like this, right? So we're still at the very, I think, beginning of the adoption curve. If you look at the benefits that, that this solution provides, I kind of picture it as a Venn diagram where there's four circles. And the first circle has absorption, which is the highest of just about anything out there, you know, other than an IV, right? It's got the experience of a gummy, but without all the sugar and minimal nutrient load. It's got all-in-one dosing, so complete formulas with science-backed doses. So if you're if your concern is heart health as a need state, you go out, you can buy vitamin K2, soluble fiber, CoQ10, magnesium, resveratrol, et cetera, et cetera, and end up with eight bottles and take 13 pills a day and not even absorb what you think you're absorbing. Or you can take one gel pack with fully soluble nutrients you can absorb. So the all-in-one is big, but what that provides is a cost efficiency as well. So that's like the fourth circle on our Venn diagram. You're going to spend about 30% less than if you bought everything separately. So you've got absorption experience, all-in-one dosing, cost efficient. Our customer, our our best customers lie in the intersections of those four circles. Yeah, that seems like a pretty compelling solution. How has the market reacted over the last year? I know you've added some products and you've tried to develop some new channels for your products. And so tell us about how the market has received your business over the last year and how your competitive advantage has fared. I mean, it's it's tough to keep stuff in stock. So we're actively putting in systems to plan better inventory-wise. We've got, you know, the reviews are excellent. Our lifetime value is industry high. So customers love it. We've had retail chains come to us asking to stock it on their shelves. And we're, we're really not set up for retail yet. That's part of what we'll get into later. We've made a lot of changes. And there are a lot of different considerations that, that we've gone through as far as channel strategy goes. And retail is going to be a bigger part of our future. Have you seen the emergence of any competitors that are trying to copy you? Sure. So if you want to talk about competition, we're really competing for what we call the disposable supplement dollar, which is mostly against alternatives in pill and powder format, mostly pills. That's because there really are not very many gels out there. There are some some gels that are starting to hit the market, which they're not patent pending gels. They don't have studies behind them. It's just the same typically nutrients you find in pills, just put in a xanthan gum or something like that, these granular particles. But in any case, most of the gels are single ingredient product. And the reason for that is it's very difficult to make multi-ingredient products in an organoleptically pleasing way and to keep them stable in the presence of water over time. So when I'm talking about organoleptics, making something with 20 nutrients in a gel tastes good, smell good, have consistent mouthfeel, have a vibrant color, that's very, very challenging. And that's where our proprietary production knowledge and competitive advantage outside of the patent lies. And then with stability, keeping something shelf stable for 24 months in the presence of high water activity is also a challenge. So us being able to solve those two things allows us to put products on the market that these other companies simply can't do yet. Okay. Well, that's a nice position to be in. Now, Update us on your sales channel strategy, because last time you were talking about going into retail and developing maybe some other channels. And so what has developed over the last year? Sure. So 
Our sales channel breakdown is direct to consumer, which is through Shopify, 75% of our sales. On the marketplace side, Amazon is responsible for about 20% of our sales. And retail comes in third at 5% of our sales. So our channel strategy has changed recently. D2C and Amazon are still the core focal points. And I think they'll remain responsible for the majority of our sales growth in 2024. And I think it's important to keep that in place because D2C as an initial channel with a higher margin allows you more money to reinvest in business growth. But at a certain point, retail becomes important in that omni-channel equation that acquirers are looking for. So if you've been reading news in the space lately, you'll have seen that there's kind of like a stain on direct-to-consumer only companies because of the many public failures. You've got Allbirds, you've got you know Casper the Mattress Company, Rent the Runway, and many more that have all had busted IPOs. They haven't really translated very well outside of, well, to, to value, staying in D2C only. And actually, this, this morning, I was looking on Crunchbase, and there's a, a data point that US investors put about $130 million into companies selling direct-to-consumer products, direct-to-consumer via e-commerce this year. And that's a 97% decline from the peak in 2021, where over $5 billion went into this area. So the money is, is, is telling us the same story. So what, what you have is a situation where large strategics are not set up to grow large direct-to-consumer businesses, but rather to expand via retail. So in their acquisition targets, the strategics want to see viability of a brand in the retail channel. So at Healthy Cell, what we've seen based on this information is the need for an omni-channel approach that includes retail in order to unlock that maximum exit value with strategic acquirers. These are the large CPG companies, You know your Unilevers, your CPGs, your Nestle's. And if we can show retail sales distribution, total points of distribution, good sales velocity, good same-store sales growth over 18 to 24 months, and to do it in a breadth of retail categories, for example, the natural retail channel and grocery, or the natural retail channel and the mass retail channel, that's going to be very valuable to us at exit because it increases the M&A value to the strategic acquirer. So that's why we're doing a rebrand right now. One of the reasons why we're doing a rebrand to make the packaging more viable on the retail shelf. So our Tara State, who's our chief marketing and branding officer who came from Bulletproof, just completed a brand upgrade that allows us packaging that's more distinct and easily recognizable from you know several feet away on the shelf packaging that fits the retail shelves, price points for certain product counts that make sense at retail, and all kind of driving home that USP of the gel by making the packaging emblematic of that gel USP. So that, that we're excited about launching that soon. What sort of prospects do you think you have in the retail space? You said it's only like 5 or 10% of sales right now. How much do you think you can grow that retail fraction? Well, I'll put it this way. We've got about 200 retail locations right now that sell our product. In the natural space alone, we can easily eclipse a thousand more in the next year that have much higher velocity than the smaller independents that we are in now. So ultimately, retail as a 25% mix in our business next year would probably make sense. By the time we're acquired, perhaps a 40% mix, but certainly more than 5%. Now, we've talked before about how retail sales is sort of a viral marketing tool for your online sales. 
and subscription model. And the subscription model is pretty attractive because, of course, it's recurring revenue. So can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Right now, the subscription model is over 50% of our business. The monthly recurring revenue keeps growing. So right now, it's at about 530000 per month. That's just a subscription business. And it grew about 60% year over year. And we love this type of revenue because it does get a premium at exit over non-recurring D2C revenue. But while we're here planning daily, it helps us uh, from an inventory planning point of view and also helps us manage cash flow more easily because it's so predictable. So basically, we've got customers that can order monthly and get free shipping plus ten, plus a 10% discount if they're on subscription, or they can order quarterly, get free shipping and a 15% discount. And we make a higher margin on those sales, even though we're giving the discount because it saves us a ton if we're shipping three units in one shipment versus three different shipments of one unit. Right. Especially when our product is, is heavier, 2.2 pounds. Rolling South is a new kind of angel fund that brings the best deal flow from the southern U.S. directly to our partners. Contact us to see how we can bring you the deal flow you want with no upfront fees. We co-invest with our partners, so we only make money when you do. Do you see the retail customers migrating to subscription? That is nearly impossible to track. <laughs> in, in this kind of omni-channel world, I mean, attribution has always been difficult. And the more omni-channel it gets, the more difficult the attribution gets. So we really don't have strong data on people who make the jump from retail to direct-to-consumer or vice versa at this point. Maybe you need a special offer on that package for them to pursue. We've thought about QR codes and all kinds of things, but at the end of the day, if it's something that's going to be looked upon as hurting the retailer's ability to sell or pulling customers online from the retail shelves, that's not good for the retail relationship, right? So we, we kind of have to balance that. Uh, yeah, that's fair. The needs of both sides. Well, as an investor, I'm really thrilled the way you're thinking about tailoring your business model to ultimate exit by acquisition. Because I, I talk about that. Matter of fact, I kind of preach about that, about when founders are developing their sales strategy and their customers, that one of the ingredients needs to be, hey, is this customer a potential acquirer? And how can we make ourselves more beautiful for them? So it sounds like you're doing that. We are. I mean, and there's there are so many different types of acquirers for a company like we want to be in 24 to 36 months. But I think it's important to structure yourself to be most desirable to the acquirer that's going to pay the most. And that's, in our case, a strategic acquirer versus a financial acquirer like a private equity firm. Right. That's a good point. Because if you get a, a couple of strategic buyers interested in your business, you can get a little bidding going and that will give you the best price. And and they're often willing to pay a large premium over the financial benefit of acquiring a business. Exactly right. That's savvy. So what we're trying to do over the next 24 to 36 months max is get to about 50 million in sales with a strong omni-channel strategy that proves out retail viability, get to a gross margin of 75%, 
a blended contribution margin of 60% plus and a net margin of 20% plus, if we can do that, I think there will be competitive bidding from strategics because think about our space. There's been an innovation gap for almost 100 years where most people are still taking supplements in the same form that they were taking back when rotary phones were around, right? So it's been really stale as far as innovation goes, but it's a huge market and a growing market. So we position ourselves properly as the groundbreaking company that's also a fundamentally well-run business. I think that we'll have multiple strategics that come knocking. Even at our small stage now, we've already had inbound from large multinational CPG companies, private equity firms, and investment banks. But we're too small now to do anything. So we just keep those relationships warm and focus on growing a fundamentally sound company and keep them updated along the way. So we're we're building that network now. Yeah. So in that context of growth, can you tell us a little bit about your metrics in terms of revenue year over year and maybe by channel year over year growth? Sure. I'll start with um, top line. So as far as revenue growth, over the last 12 months, by the time this year ends, we should be at about 65% growth year over year, 2023 versus 2022. Okay. And the goal for next year is to be at about 19 million in sales, which would be 100% growth year over year. And that does anticipate a capital raise in Q1 or Q2 of next year. Okay. With the funds being being mostly marketing. So, so if you look at last year, we did a hair over 5 million in sales. This year, we should do a hair over 9 million in sales. Mm-hmm. However, our run rate right now is somewhere around 10 million. So things are growing. They're going in the right direction. We'd like to accelerate that. And that's that's the reason for anticipating a smaller Series A sooner, Q1 of next year versus a larger Series A toward the back half of next year. Okay. On the subscription channel, how sticky are those customers? Very sticky. Um, we've got We've got one of the largest lifetime values in the industry, according to benchmarks from Recharge, which is Recharge is one of the uh, premier subscription management systems that has data on, I believe it's over 10,000 direct-to-consumer brands in the space. So they, they rate us in the top. So if I look at the last report that came out, the monthly churn in our case is about 6.4%. The 12-month retention is about 50%. So if someone buys our product on average, a year later, half of them will still be taking it, which is really, really strong. Our average order value is also pretty high at 84. So, I mean, to, to just kind of compare this to health and wellness companies in the space, the average is about 56 for companies with the highest one you see on here is for companies with between 10,000 and 50,000 subscribers is 60. So we're quite high there. Average revenue per user, we're at 587. They are at that same group, 10,000 to 50,000 subscribers are at about 226. So it's pretty strong. Yeah. So in the context of revenue and raising money, I, I guess you're planning in Q1 or Q2 of 24 to have a raise. Is there any movement towards cash flow positivity or are you 
focusing on growth and less on cash flow? Sure. So we anticipate, based on our modeling, a break-even in Q, Q1 or Q2, really toward the end of Q1 next year. However, it's important to note we can be cash flow positive within 30 days at any time if we just dial back marketing spend and grow a little bit slower. That is one of the most important things to me in this business because we never want to be in a position where we're at the mercy of investors in a kind of raise or die situation in which the company loses all leverage, right? So yep. I'd rather say no to bad terms on an investment than dial back marketing spend and continue growing the company, albeit at a slower rate. Yeah, very smart. You know, I talk to founders about that all the time, about trying to get to profitability because of the leverage it gives them. And they frequently don't really grasp because they've had maybe an easy time raising money in the past. And so they think it'll be easy in the future. But as you probably know, 2023 was one of the toughest years in the last decade to raise capital. That's right. So it's not clear that 24 will be any different. But with your business model, it's pretty attractive growth and pretty attractive revenue characteristics in terms of sticky customers and CAC and that sort of stuff. And so I think you maybe have less problem than the average person raising money. And so what what will you do with that money? Are, are you just going to market more? Or are you going to develop new products? What are you going to do? Most of that money, I would say 90 plus percent will go to sales and marketing. Okay. We've spent a ton of time successfully researching and developing products that the market just doesn't have and people love. So now it's time in 2024 really to shift gears and focus on sales, marketing, distribution, and start building that top line. Okay. Do you have any new products in the in the pipeline? Anything new category-wise or product-wise that you can talk about? Yes. Yeah, so, so this year we launched our heart and vascular health products, our joint health and mobility products. About a month or so ago, we launched a hair, skin, and nails product. This month, we are launching a Calm Mood product. And in the pipeline right now, we have a Bone Strength product and a Gut Health product. So there has been a ton of R&D the past 12 months, and it's, it's starting to bear fruit. Every time we put one of these new products on the market, its sales grow month over month almost automatically at this point, especially on Amazon, because people are, you know, there's more brand awareness. There's a ton of cross sell between existing customers, but the new customers are also seeing a a larger breadth of offering and it just keeps selling. So it's, it's, it's a good thing. Do you feel like you're developing some virality there where with these multiple products, you're getting crossover and people are talking to other people and there's uptake just based on that viral nature? There is. And, and we do post-purchase surveys. So we see that between 15 and 20% of our customers first found out about us by word of mouth, which is a very strong indicator of a, of a brand that has the potential to, to grow faster as well. That's key. If you, if you don't have word of, word of mouth, it's very hard to have a blended customer acquisition cost that is within your target. Essentially, that's a $0 customer acquisition cost that when you blend it in with everything else helps bring down the, the average value. Well, that was an outstanding update 
And the the numbers are very, very compelling, Doug. So I congratulate you on a great year and look forward to next year. And thank you for sharing with us today. Thank you, David. Love the podcast. I love listening to these episodes. So it's an honor to be on it myself. This pod is supported by the Rolling South Fund and Venture Carolina, a nonprofit focused on entrepreneur and investor education. We invite you to connect with suggestions and feedback. Follow David and Paul on LinkedIn or via contacts in the show notes.